Section six of the Roman Empire of the Second Century by William Wolfe Capes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter three Hadrian, AD one seventeen to one thirty eight, part one. From the story of the Frank and Ernest Trajan, we turn with a strange sense of contrast to the life and character of his successor one of the most versatile and paradoxical of men of the career of publius aelius hadrianus little is known to us for the forty years before he gained the throne and the meagre tale may soon be told born himself at rome he came of a family which drew its name from hadria in northern italy but had been settled for centuries in spain losing his father at an early age he came under the care of Trajan, his near kinsman, and after a few years, in which he made such rapid progress in his studies as to be called the little Greekling, he took to hunting with such passion as to need a check, and was therefore put at once into the army and taken by his guardian to the wars. The news of Nerva's death found him in Upper Germany at a distance from his kinsman, and he was the first to carry to him the tidings of his accession to the empire outstripping though on foot the courier sent by his sister's husband servianus who had contrived to make his carriage break down upon the way the same relative tried also to make mischief by calling trajan's notice to the debts and youthful follies of his ward but hadrian still had influence at court and stood high in the good graces of platina married by her help the emperor's grand niece and had a legion given him to command in the second dacian war in this as afterwards in pannonia and parthia his gallantry and powers of discipline were spoken of with marked approval powerful friends began to rally round him at the court and to think of him and act for him as a possible successor to the throne but no decisive word was uttered to encourage friends or to alarm his rivals and all up to the last were in suspense till he heard suddenly in syria where trajan had left him in command first that the emperor had named him as his heir and then a few days afterwards that the post of monarchy was vacant so sudden was the act as to give rise to ugly rumours platina it was whispered who loved him fondly if not wisely had tampered for his sake with her dying husband's will had even kept his death a secret for a time and written with her own hand the letters to the senate which named hadrian his heir but in what we read elsewhere about platina she appears as a type of womanly dignity and honour and the story serves best perhaps to illustrate the license of court scandal which absolute monarchy so often fosters the first acts of the new sovereign were temperate and wary his letters to the senate were full of filial respect for trajan and regard for constitutional usage he excused himself because the soldiers in their haste had hailed him emperor without waiting for their sanction asked for divine honours for the departed ruler whose remains he went to look upon with dutiful affection and sent to be enshrined within the famous column in the forum declining the triumph for himself he had trajan's likeness borne and stayed along the streets in the pageant that was to do honour to his exploits but for all that hadrian was in no mood to follow in his steps 
had no wish to copy his love of war or his imperial ambition on every frontier hostile races were in arms in far-off britain as well as in the east among the moors of africa and among the bull races of the north there were rumours of invasion or revolt there was no lack of opportunities nor indeed of armies trained to conquest but he was not to be tempted with the hope of military laurels and his constant policy was one of peace he withdrew at once the weak pretender forced upon the parthians by the arms of rome and left all the lands beyond the tigris where no western colonists had any claims upon his care it was far otherwise in dacia in which peaceful settlers had found a home for years and strongholds had been garrisoned for their defence it would have seemed therefore most unlikely that he thought of drawing back his troops from the strong mountain barrier of transylvania and of leaving the new province to its fate later writers reflecting possibly the discontent of trajan's generals said indeed that he was minded to do this and that he had actually begun to break the bridge across the danube but the facts remain that the language and the arts of rome steadily gained ground upon that northern border and that hadrian surrendered nothing which was worth retaining for the rest in other parts of the great empire he was content to restore order and waged no offensive warfare yet strange to say not only had he personal hardihood and valour and was ready on the march to face the heat and labours of the day like the meanest soldier in the ranks but he always with watchful care maintained his armies in a state of vigour and efficiency that seldom had been rivalled he swept away with an unsparing hand the abuses of the past and insisted on the austere discipline of ancient days putting down with peremptory sternness the luxurious arrangements of the camp which even in germany endangered the soldier's manliness and self-control and still more in syria where the wanton antioch hotbed of license as it was spread far around it the contagion of its dissolute and unruly temper in the spirit of the generals of olden time he walked bareheaded alike through alpine snows and in the scorching heats of africa setting them thus a pattern of robust endurance in every land through which he passed he inspected carefully the forts encampments arsenals and stores and seemed to have lodged in his capacious memory the story of each legion and the names even of the rank and file in the centre of algeria we may still trace the ramparts of a camp where an auxiliary force was stationed to defend the border and to be the pioneers of civilized progress on a column which was raised in the centre of the camp was posted in monumental characters a proclamation of the emperor to the soldiers of this distant outpost in which he dwells upon their laborious energy and loyal zeal thus trained and organized his armies were formidable weapons for the hand of an enterprising leader but he used them wholly for repression or defence and never with aggressive aims even in britain where the peaceful south was harassed by the incursions of the wilder tribes in place of any war of conquest a great wall a triple line of earthworks strengthened by a high wall of solid masonry was carried for many a mile across the country to be a barrier to the northern savagery and fragments of the work may still be seen between newcastle and carlisle 
to show how earnestly defence was sought by the ruler who built on such a scale but it was no love of personal ease that clipped the wings of his ambition instead of staying quietly at rome to take his pleasure he was always on the move and every province witnessed in its turn the restless activity of his imperial care the coins struck in his honour as he went to and fro upon his journeys the stately monuments and public works which were called into being by him as he passed along these are evidence enough when the meagre accounts of our historians fail to tell us of the wide range of his long-continued wanderings and of the benefits which followed in his train the empire had long claimed to govern in the interests of the provinces and not of rome alone and here at last was an emperor who seemed resolved to see with his own eyes all his people's wants to spend with liberal bounty for the common good to reform impartially the abuses of old times and to lay the heavy rod of his displeasure upon all his weak or faithless servants to the largeness of such aims there corresponded a breadth and many-sidedness of character and powers and few living men were better fitted to enter with fresh interest into the varied life of all the lands through which he travelled had he not been emperor he might have been a sort of admirable crichton he had thrown himself with eager curiosity into all the art and learning of his age and his vast memory enabled him to take all knowledge for his own poet geometer musician orator and artist he had studied all the graces and accomplishments of liberal culture knew something of the history and genius of every people could estimate their literary or artistic skill and admire the achievements of the past but he was far from travelling merely as an antiquarian or art critic for he left in every land enduring traces of his present care the bridges aqueducts and theatres were repaired fresh public works were undertaken municipal accounts were overhauled the governor's official acts reviewed and every department of the public service thoroughly sifted and controlled the imperial treasury was seen to gather in its stores in the interest of the provinces at large and not for a few dissolute favourites at court or for the idle populace of rome to symbolise in striking forms his impartial care for all his subjects he was ready to accept local offices of every kind and discharge by deputy the magisterial functions in the district towns under every variety of national title in the movements of the imperial tourist there was little luxury or ostentation he walked a road in military guise before his guard with his head uncovered in all weather ready to share without a murmur the legionary's humble fare and to bear all the heat and labour of the day history gives us few details as to the exact course and order of his wanderings but inscriptions upon bronze and stone abound with the tokens of his energy in every land and of the thankfulness with which each province hailed the presence of its ruler in britain which had seen no emperor since claudius he came to inspect the menaced frontier and to plan the long lines of defence against the free races of the north in africa we find him soothing the disquiet caused of late by the panic fears of jewish massacres and roman vengeance his diplomacy and liberal courtesies dispel the clouds of war that gather on the lines of the euphrates and are serious enough to require his presence on the scene 
on the plains of troy we hear of him gazing around him in the spirit of a pilgrim and solemnly burying the gigantic relics in which his reverent fancy saw the bones of ajax the great towns of western asia are proud to let their emperor see their wealth their industry their teeming populations they have to thank him for many a public monument of note and record upon their coinage in many a varying phrase and symbol his justice liberality and guardian care but it was in athens that he tarried longest or hither he came most frequently to find repose as in his favourite home here in the centre of the old hellenic art he put off a while the soldier and the prince and soothed himself with the amenities of liberal culture he tried to fancy himself back in the greek life of palmier days he presided at the public games sat by to witness the feats of literary skill raised the theatres and temples from their ruins and asked to be admitted to the venerable mysteries of their national faith to the athens of old days he added a new quarter to be called henceforth hadrian's city he gave it a new code of laws to rival those of dracon and solon and recalled some shadowy memories of its days of sovereign power by making it mistress of the isle of cephalonia it had already academic fame and drew its scholars from all lands its public professorships had given a recognized status to its studies fresh endowments were bestowed upon its chairs with a liberal hand and nothing was spared for the encouragement of learning the lecturers on rhetoric and philosophy the so-called sophists basked in the sunshine of imperial favour had immunities and bounties showered upon them and were raised at times to offices of state and high command one of them was entrusted with a princely fortune to beautify the city which he honoured with his learned presence another found his professional income large enough to feed his fellow-citizens in time of famine a third the writer arian was taken from his stoic musings to fill the place of general and governor of cappadocia one of the largest of the provinces of rome there in his turn he followed the example set him in high quarters started from trapezus trebizond upon a journey of discovery round the coasts of the black sea visited the seats of the old colonial enterprises of Miletus, studied with a careful eye the extent of trade and the facilities for intercourse in prosperous regions not yet ruined by the incursions of barbarian hordes the explorer's journey ended he wrote a valuable memoir to his master which is of interest as gathering up all that geography had learned upon the subject end of section six